It would help if I was ready on time, everybody. How's everybody doing? All right. Here we are this Memorial Day weekend. It's uh, a little bit hot. Everybody else hot? I'm hot already. I've been standing out in the sun. It's like, geez, really need to get an air conditioner in here. All right. Or have somebody come up and fan me. Where's my wife? <laughs> oh, no, I would never presume to ask that. So, so good to have all of you here this morning, being a part of Faith Church on this great Memorial Day weekend. Hopefully you're joining us from wherever you happen to be. Uh, I was telling people, you know, you never know who's going to be here on Memorial Day weekend. You might have a full house or an empty one, just depending on travel. And, uh, but it's great to have the opportunity to be able to not only connect in person, but online. So if you happen to be out of town for whatever reason, you can still connect with us even where you're at Wherever you happen to be, anywhere in the whole world, you could be watching us right now. So what, a, what an awesome opportunity we have to be able to partner together in that. So thank you for being with us online or in person, whichever way you're with us today. If you're new here, we want to welcome you first in person. Make sure you connect with our guest services uh, person who's going to make sure you get a free gift this morning before you leave. Or if you're online, make sure that you are getting your free ebook before you leave there as well. It's always such a privilege and an honor to be able to welcome new people into the experience each week. So we love having new folks in and hopefully making you feel like you're at home. If you have kids, we'd love for them to be a part of the experience too. Today in-house, they're actually going outside and having a great time out there and enjoying this beautiful weather we have this morning. Uh, but if you're online, we have content for you as well. Just look on the uh, Facebook page that we have, scroll down a little bit, and you'll see a link that's going to take you to content just for your kids. You can, they can watch it on their device, or you can watch it together, whatever way makes sense for you, uh, and be able to discuss that and to enter into those conversations together is how we uh, relate to Jesus and what does that mean in our lives. And so I encourage you to be able to do that if you're not able to be with us in person. Uh, a few things we want to highlight here also that's happening in and around faith. We have uh, two or three things uh, that are really important that I want to make sure we're aware of. First is there's a community meet and greet that we're doing at Ladbroke Motel. That's Friday, June 16th from 5 to 6.30, all right? So our goal there is to be able to, to connect to the guests that are part of that uh, motel. They've been there for a long while now, and some of them may have to be moving and transitioning soon. So how can we best partner with them and help them and get to know them? And we want to start just by doing that, just by sitting around and sharing a meal together uh, up at Ladbroke. So if you'd love to be a part of that process, to be able to meet new faces, to see people in our community that may have some, some things they're going to need some help with or just need people to help support them through this next few months, uh, that's what we're going to be doing on Friday, June 16th from 5 to 6.30, okay? So make sure you're aware of that. Please get plugged in if you want to sign up for that or, or get more information on it. Find me, uh, find Jim Boucher. She can uh, help point you in the right direction as well as we gear up to have that happen on Friday, June 16th at 5 p.m., okay? Also, You'll see over here on my left, uh, y'all's right, and if you're online, you can't see it, sorry, but there's a bunch of boxes for Operation Christmas Child, and now I know it's nowhere near November when we normally collect these, but we've got a, a different process we're working our way through this year. Instead of bringing in items and putting them all together at the end, what we're going to ask all of us to do, and we'll announce this a few times so everybody has a chance to hear, is we're asking you to take a box or two uh, each month. 
fill it up with your family and bring it back. Our goal is to have 100 boxes this year. We normally have 75. We're looking for 100 boxes this year uh, to bless people. So that means there's going to be many opportunities for you to come and connect and serve uh, by getting, getting these boxes, bringing them home, filling them and bringing them back. All right. So uh, starting to now, you can pick them up today or any day. As soon as you have your boxes filled, bring them back. We'll start stacking them. We'll collect them. Uh, if you need to know what to put in them, I believe they have a list of items in the boxes, correct? So I'll give you suggestions and ideas of what to shoot for um, <clears throat> and so that you can fill these effectively so we can bless kids around the world again this year through Operation Christmas Child. Also, last thing I want to highlight for our faith events is church work day. So if you were here Two, I know, last weekend. It feels like five weekends ago. It was just last weekend we painted the kitchen, uh, but it was such a great experience that we got most of that knocked out, and the kitchen cabinets are somewhat done. We got a little ways to go on that, but we have a new project. Uh, I mentioned it last week, I think, that we're going to do these wall treatments up here uh, to add some new elements to the walls so we can begin to uh, to develop these and flesh these out. I got a whole bunch of ideas that we're going to take all of us to pull it off, a lot of visual elements that are going to add a whole lot to the space, change it up, and give us uh, something else to look at, but also something to engage in uh, visually. And so if you want to help be a part of that process, it's Saturday, June 17th, all right? June 17th, 8 a.m., that Saturday morning. So here's the deal. You come in on Friday night and uh, or Friday afternoon, and you go up to Ladbrook with us, and you sit and, sit and meet and greet and have a great conversation with folks at Ladbrook. That's the plan there. Then you come in Saturday morning, and you come help us put these walls up, and you paint a little bit, and you get a little dirty. And then you go on Sunday, and you come and sit here, and you hear a great Father's Day message that we're going to have for all you dads. And then you go home, and you're like, man, what an awesome weekend I just had, Right? It should be, right? Because, hey, you get to connect in the community, right, with people you don't know, but you're going to make some awesome connections with and be able to bless them, and they bless you in return. You're going to be able to be a part of a church that rallies together to get these projects done, to see transformation happen that you're all engaged in, and then you get to get the Word of God on a Sunday morning to be able to bless your family, to strengthen it, to make it better than it's ever been. There really isn't anything better than that, really. So whatever your plans were, toss them out. You've got to do plans. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, Father's Day weekend is low with opportunities for you to connect and grow closer to Jesus and bring somebody else close to Jesus as well. So mark them on your calendar. Friday, June 16th, 5 at Ladbrook. Saturday, 8 a.m. here at the church. And then Sunday, obviously, 10 a.m. here at the church as well as we hear the Word of God together. So make sure that you're plugging in Father's Day weekend to have an awesome experience then, okay? Last thing I always want to invite people into, that's uh, two things, is one, receiving. So maybe you're here and you've got a need. Maybe it's an emotional need. Maybe you're battling something and something's going on in your life where you're struggling and you really just need somebody to talk to uh, and you've talked to a bunch of other people, but you just want someone else. Make sure you know that we are here for you. Maybe you have a financial need and it's like, man, I've got to the end of the month and the money didn't make it and now I need some help with that. Uh, hey, we can at least talk through what that might look like from our, from our end and see if we can help meet that need in your life. Uh, maybe there's something else going on. Whatever it is, just feel free to reach out to us, okay? Never feel like this church doesn't care because we do. We genuinely want to partner with you to see your life transformed in ways that you might not even believe for yourself. And so if that's you and you're in that situation and place in your life, make sure you reach out to us. Look on our website, faithchurchvt.com. You can go to the very bottom. You'll see every way to get up with us. Please contact us. Don't think, hey, they don't want to hear from me. I got big problems, all right? Well, we got a big God who can help big problems. And so I want to make sure you're plugging into that as you're getting ready to go through that season of your life or in the middle of it. Uh, for everyone else, 
if you love to give towards that, it takes all of us, every single one of us. And what the Bible calls, it calls for a couple of things. Uh, they call it tithe and offering, but what it, what it really is is sacrificial giving. I never want anybody to think that, oh, yeah, man, uh, you know, the giving's easy. I give out of what I have left over. What biblical giving looks like is giving of the best of yourself to others. That means your finances, that means your talent, that means your time, that means giving the very first and best of you to somebody else. Now, if you're a mom or dad in this place, but especially moms, because uh, I have a wife who's an awesome mom, and she does a great job, and I see you this every single day, uh, that she gives the, the first and best of herself to her children, right? So if you're a mom, I know you're already doing that. So what we want to take is that same mom mentality, right? That same parent mentality, and to be able to apply it to everybody in our lives, but to apply it to God first and say, Lord, you have given me every good and perfect thing. You have given me the very breath I've breathed this morning. You have given me every thing in my finances to accomplish what you have called me to accomplish. Lord, I want to give back to you, not what I have left over, but what you've given me first so that I can bless somebody else. That's what sacrificial generosity looks like. It's not about uh, just giving what's left over. It's giving the first and the best to the God who is giving everything to you. And watch as he multiplies that, as he breaks it up, not just in your life, but in the lives of others and sees them flourish because you have been obedient in that giving. So I want to encourage you, if you're uh, here in person, you can give financially uh, via the baskets up front or in the back. Or you can give online, faithchurchvt.com, press give. Really simple there. You can even text to give. It's really, 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 really easy. Uh, you can do that in person or online. We encourage that. But it's beyond finances. It's about everything, all right? It's about service and sacrifice in all of our lives. So if you're here and like, man, I want to come Saturday to work on that work day, come let me know, all right? We'll plug you in on that day to give some of your talent away, sacrifice some of your time, and to be able to see it flourish and to see it bless somebody else. So it's about all facets of our lives as we're being generous in all things. So I want to encourage that here, as always, here at Faith. Very last thing, uh, well, it's not the very last thing, it's really the thing that we're here to focus on is the message this morning, because we're continuing our latest series called Walking Faith. Everybody been all right with this series so far, Walking Faith, right? So we've been going through the book of James, the letter that he wrote to his church, and uh, we talked about that it's, it was essentially uh, what one commentator called a beautifully crafted gut punch, right? Uh, so that's pretty much what we've been going through is being punched in the gut week after week, uh, which is great. Uh, because if you're part of our church, what you should understand, if you haven't experienced that yet, you will. I am all about being challenged, right? And I'm all about challenging you. So if you come here and like, oh, I come here because it's comfortable, because it's easy, because it gives, you know, these nice comforting messages, you're not going to last very long around here. Right? You might get that every once in a while, but what you're going to get is you're going to get a lot of challenging messages, because I believe, I know that the Bible is a challenging message, right? You are, we're called to deal with some heavy, hard things that really push us in places that might not make us comfortable. And so this is another uh, place we're going to run into that as we're walking through the book of James in this series called Walking Faith. In week one, we talked about a little bit about this. We said, that, hey, there, uh, there's suffering in our lives, but there's purpose behind that suffering. It's a time of testing, right? Week two, we discussed how walking in our faith requires us being eager to hear what God is saying, but also to put it into action. And then last week, we said that walking faith requires watching our mouths, right? We've got to watch what we say, okay? 
This morning, we're going to wrap things up with the last chapter of James by uh, seeing how he ends things. And what he's going to do, he's going to pull on a lot of those same topics. He's going to pull on suffering. He's going to pull on prayer. He's going to pull on the togetherness that it takes to do this. But he's going to attack them from different angles. And so we're going to pursue that a little bit this morning. Uh, It's going to be great because it's helped us refresh, but also get a new perspective as we go through. But before we get there... We're going to do another break. We're going to have another question that we're going to talk through in our break this morning. So I want to encourage you as we do this five minutes uh, quick break, get up, talk to one another, connect, share life with one another, grab a cup of coffee. There's some iced coffee available as well if you're here in person. But ask and answer this question together as well. When you're hurt, whether it be emotional, physical, whatever hurt you've got going on, when you're hurt, what person in your life do you call? When you're hurt, what person in your life do you call? All right, so let's take a five-minute break, and we'll be back here after discussing that. All right, see you soon. All right. Awesome. Hopefully you had a chance to refuel. If at any point you need to get up and move around, reconnect, and or get some more coffee or water, whatever you need, feel free to go grab that. That's always on the table, always out there to do. Right now, though, we're going to jump into these questions. And see, uh, see what we got. So, when you're hurt, what person in your life do you call first? Who wants to answer this one? We got something going on. What are you, what are you hearing and feeling? What you got, Miss Jan? I have a person. I mean, I have her, but <laughs> I don't tell her everything. <laughs> the first person, my person, is Jesus. <laughs> right. I go to Jesus. I take it to him. Awesome. All right, who else? So you got something in your, a hurt in your life. Who are you talking to? You got a pain, physical pain. When you go out, who you're connecting with? There you go, Leo. Thank you. Uh, I holler at Janine. I mean, I tell Janine. <laughs> um, and she'll just say stuff like, hey, shake it off. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Tough love, Janine. Don't let him off easy. He's fine. <laughs> Me, I would go with my wife. Yep. First okay. one I go to. All right. Who else? What about some wives? Where do you go to? All right. Robin's going to answer this one. Thank you. I go to my husband as well. Okay. He's my best friend. All right. Awesome. Very cool. Okay. So you get hurt. Where are you going? Who's, who's got some pains that they, they, they run to when they need help? Nobody else gets hurt. That's good. All right. Bonnie's got one. She's got one over there in the corner, Rich. I'm sorry. Oh, Bonnie? Yep. Tough morning. Mm. I'm missing my mom. Hmm. But I can remember the times she said to me, let's pray about it. Mm. Because God is always there for us, and he'll lead us and he'll guide us and he'll protect us. <laughs> I thank her, thank God every day that he gave me so much time with her and that she became not only my mom, but my best friend. <laughs> and it's been tough, but the Lord has seen me through so many things that have happened since I lost her. But I thank him each and every day that I'm on my feet and walking. Amen. Thank you, Bonnie. Moms, awesome. Moms are so great. Thank God they're moms because dads would fail miserably (laughs) at some of that, right? At least I would. I'll speak for myself. Who else? There you go. Tiffany's got one. So I always call my best friend from college, um, and um, no matter how long it's been 
since we've talked, we always pick up where we left off, mm -hmm. and it's like we've never lost touch. Nice. Even without seeing each other for years. Um, it's just, it's great. Yeah. My support system. Awesome. Good friends. Hard to find. And harder to keep. <laughs> Especially as you get older. That's another conversation. All right. Go ahead, uh, Tiffany. Yes, I do go to my husband, but um, as well, like, I remember this one time, like, right after my dad had passed away, mm. we had gone to New York City with my in-laws and my husband and stuff, and when I got home, I was just like, I've got to go see my mom. Mm. I need my mom right yeah. now. And it's just like one of those things where sometimes your mom's the one that just can wrap her arms around you and just give you some peace. So, just like Jesus. Oh, thanks. Um, of course, my husband, but my sisters are my go-to because they know everything. <laughs> Sometimes that can work against you, but all right, hopefully that's a good thing. <laughs> all right, anybody else? Those are all great answers. Great. Good job. Fantastic. Thanks so much. All right. It, it was typical. I was kind of expecting this as we, uh, when I had this question up and I was thinking through it this week, um, that most guys would say what they said, right? Because I, I think I'm the same way. I'm pretty typical by saying the first person I'm turning to is my wife. Um, although I'm usually late in the calling, all right? I want to I phrase it that way. I remember the night I woke up um, with what turned out to be my herniated disc in my lower back. And I didn't know that was, was what that was at the time. So I'd woken up, and I don't know if you, if you're, you, you guys experienced this, but when I was, whenever I was a teenager, I would wake up and have this incredible cramps, like muscle cramps, big my legs, and I would wake up and I remember stretching my legs out. So when I woke up that night and with this disc issue, I didn't know it was disc. I thought, oh man, I'm having a really bad leg cramp. So I get up to try to stretch it out, and the more I'm stretching, the more I'm doing, nothing's changing. And a matter of fact, it's getting worse and worse and worse. And then I finally wind up just passing out, literally passing out from the pain onto my, one of my kids' beds as my wife is laying in the other room and and uh, I didn't tell her what would happen until like later that day when I couldn't like hide it anymore right I was kind of limping around and me couldn't even like you know barely lift anything on my right leg and and uh, so I didn't figure that I could hide it for very long so I was like you know I think I have something going on that that needs some attention uh, but she does great because although uh, I tell her late most of the time I normally do tell her that something's going on I rarely keep it to myself because I think there's something about sharing something with somebody else uh, that what you're going through when you're going through those tough times that even if they can't help you directly, you know, is still something about that connection that helps you get through emotionally, that helps you process it in a way that you couldn't do before. And it really helps when the person you tell, and my wife is good at this, uh, isn't going to berate you from coming to them late or, or coming to them after the fact, right? You ever have that conversation with somebody, you get to tell them, hey, I did this or this happened or I got hurt doing this. And they say, well, what did you do this time, right? Well, come on, right? What's, what's next, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's some fingers being pointed. I'm not going to point them out. All right. Uh, because that really wants to make you tell them the next time, right? It's like, oh, yeah, I'm sure going to let you know as soon as that next one happens, right? Uh, but knowing that someone's there to walk through it with you, whether they have to work through a process of, of berating a little bit first, no, it didn't really matter. Knowing that someone's there to walk that road with you is huge. And uh, James really conveys that in this last chapter. He's really bringing it home uh, and he's going to spend his last words here encouraging his church, and by extension us, 
to focus in on at least three ways that we can walk out this faith again. Instead of just talking about our faith, walking it out. And those three ways are by patience, by prayer, and by partnership. And so if you have a Bible or have a Bible app, I encourage you to turn to James chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 7. We're going to work through a few. We're not doing a lot of verses today, but we're doing a few of them. Starting at verse 7, we're going to explore each one of these together and see how we can walk out our faith together in this last part of this series. James chapter 5, verse 7. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Now, James circles back here to the idea he starts in chapter 1. So if you're with us way back three weeks ago, which feels like an eternity, you remember we started by the fact that saying life is hard, right? That we had to go through some hard times. Now, sure, there's some great moments. There's some times of ease in our lives, especially when we consider how many people around us live a lot tougher lives than we do. But the fact of the matter is, we go through our own hard times. And most of us have gotten to the end of the month and realized that we don't have the money to pay for that last bill. It's going to have to wait till next month, right? Most of us have had an unexpected illness that hits us or hits someone in our family. Most of us have worked uh, or maybe currently work in an environment where we feel disrespected and it's just this hostile place that we have to go to day in and day out, right? We said in week one, James reminds us that we should expect those things all right, so that when we come to Christ, we shouldn't think, oh man, now everything's going to be great and wonderful and awesome and nice and just easy going, that he says that we're going to run into suffering constantly in our lives. That should be something we look to, not that we should avoid it, but to know that it's going to come. But now he says here that also in light of that, we need to be patient. We need to be patient. Now, patience here in the Greek means to stay put and to stand fast when you want to run away, all right? So I don't know what your definition of patience is, but I want you to think through that definition for a minute. Standing firm when you want to run away. That's what patience looks like in James' mind here. What he's looking for is an attitude of this long suffering in the faces of trials and sufferings and testing in our lives. But patience also implies something else. So he's not just saying, hey, stand firm when you want to run away. When things get tough, buckle down, root in, get ready. He's also saying this, because patience means there's something else happening. Because to be told to be patient is to expect something to change, right? When my family and I are on a long car ride, and for some reason I tend to have these harebrained ideas where we wind up driving for days on end into the middle of nowhere, like we went to Wyoming a few, few weeks, or weeks. It's been a long time, more than weeks, uh, although it felt like it took weeks to get there. No, uh, it's been a couple of years ago when we drove there and we we're in the car for hours and hours and hours on end. Now I know where the destination is going to stop because I pull it up on my map, right? And I can find it on GPS and it tells me you've got five hours to wait before you're finally there. So keep pushing through. But my kids aren't, they don't have that. They don't have that resource. And so about an hour into our usually 10 hour long car rides, they're immediately saying, oh, I'm bored. What are we doing? How long? What? And, and every five minutes, this is going to happen for the next nine hours. And so we're, we're going through this process over and over and over again. And what I have to tell them is you just have to, you've got to be, please, Lord, practice patience, right? Have some patience. And I tell them that, I tell them that because I know, and I want them to remember that we're going to get to our destination and we're going to get out of the car, 
Eventually, we will get out. All right? I know it doesn't feel like it in the moment, but at some point, the door's open and you're free to move about the country. All right? the, that does happen. So I say, you've got to be patient. You've got to be patient. James calls for patience, he says here, until the coming of the Lord. Patience until the coming of the Lord. He isn't saying, endure your hard times because that's the godly, spiritual, or religious thing to do. That's not what he says. He isn't saying, be patient because eventually it'll all work itself out. Because it always does, right? By the way, have you ever heard had anybody tell you that? It'll all work itself out. Man, maybe you've said it before because you just don't know what to say. And you're like, I don't know, it'll work itself out eventually. You know, because you have no clue, right? What you're, how to help this person in the middle of what they're going through. But that's not what James says. James doesn't say, it'll work itself out. Instead, he says, stand fast when you want to run away in the face of suffering and persecution and pain and hard times. When you undergo abuse, when you're pushed away by friends and family because of who you believe in and how you live that out. When all this stuff is going on, stand fast. But even more than that, when hard times hit, wait in expectation knowing there is an end coming, and at that end is Christ Jesus. Patience knows there's an end, and it's a good end. It's the the best end. There are wrongs in this world, I guarantee you, won't be made right in this present world. Now, it's about to be fair. Guess what? Life isn't fair. There's a dad saying for you, right? Life isn't fair. There's stuff that's going to come in your life where you're like, man, I don't understand why there's suffering, why there's death, why there's persecution, why are there things, why are people dying in the streets in certain areas? Why is this going on? There are wrongs in this world that aren't going to be made right right now. But there is a time in the future when God, who first stepped into time and into our mess in Jesus 2,000 years ago, started to make things right, and he will return to finish the job. Suffering will end, persecution will end, justice will be served. Tears will be wiped away when Christ comes home. And to help us understand this kind of patience that it takes to wait on Jesus, James uses this great metaphor that I really appreciate living in this community, right? He says, look at the farmer, because you don't want to be a farmer if you cannot have any patience, right? You're not going to be a farmer if you don't have faith, right? You see, the farmer in Israel, in, his, in James' time when he's writing this, they planted in the fall, not the spring, because their seasons are different than ours, right? But they'd only plant after the rains had started to fall for the year. Before the rain, the ground is dry, it's hardened, it's not ready to receive that seed, right? So they've got to wait for the rain to start. That first fall rain hits, and then it begins to soften the soil up, right? And it allows the, the farmer to begin to, be, to till it up and to begin to put the seed in and know that the, the soil is going to receive the seed. After that, the farmer begins clearing the soil. He knows there's not going to be a crop the next day after he plants that seed. The only crop you get immediately is weeds, right? Past that, you've got to keep pulling weeds until the real stuff starts coming up. And then guess what? you still got to keep pulling weeds after the real stuff is there, right? You've got to keep working. You've got to keep waiting expectantly, knowing that that rain came, the seed is planted, and you know that as long as the seed is good and the rain keeps going, that by the end, a harvest is sure to follow. That's what James is saying. Now, the farmer has no control over the condition he plants in. He has to trust the rain is going to fall. 
And God is in control of that. And with that rain comes blessing. Without it comes death. That he has to just wait and see, or she has to just wait and see for that rain to come. You see, at Jesus' first coming, spiritual rain began to fall and soften the hearts of the people in his day to receive the gospel seed that Jesus was planting. And even now, that same rain is falling on our hearts today. Hearts that may be dried up, hearts that may be hardened from a lifetime of suffering, of, of hard times, of like knowing, not knowing why things have gone the way they have gone. And you're in this situation where you feel like, man, I just don't know. And every day is another day. It's a struggle just to be able to go and do what you have to do for the day, whether it's work or family or whatever it is. And you're dealing with this very hard life and very hard heart as a result. But that rain still falls from heaven. And it begins to soften our hearts. And in the questioning, we cry out why. He begins to stir up in us that soil. He begins softening us up and begins planting us in that truth that Jesus has come and will come back to rescue us from ourselves and from others in our lives. He's going to set things right in his time. Hosea 6.3 says it this way prophet says, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What a beautiful image. We know with certainty that he who had planted the seed in us will be faithful to see it through. There's a harvest that's going to come to fruition when Jesus comes back. And in the meantime, we're to be patient waiting expectantly, confident in his return. James keeps going in verse 8. He says, you also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, established there means strengthened or resolved firmly, knowing that Christ will return, not knowing when he will, but knowing that he will. All right? Now, in the meantime, in the midst of that, we have something to deal with, right? In the midst of our suffering, and enduring patience, we got a dilemma. Because there's a saying, maybe you've heard it, maybe you've used it. Pressure makes what? You ever heard this? What does pressure make? Oh, you never heard this one. Okay. Pressure makes diamonds. Let me give you a great saying. Pressure makes diamonds, all right? Okay? It's really good. You should use it in your life, right? And when things get hard, it's because it's making you into something better than you are now. Pressure makes diamonds. That may be true in the end. I love that saying. I love that saying. That may be true in the end, that you'll turn out to be a diamond in the end. And if you're in Christ, I know you will. But there are plenty of times in the process that pressure doesn't make us diamonds. It just crushes us, right? And it crumbles us. And it gives us a great excuse to not endure patiently, but to lash out in harmful ways. I remember in basic training, drill instructors would use this as a motivational tactic. I don't know if they did this in the army with you, uh, Walt, or, or what you went through, Steve. But uh, there was this motivational technique. They would have us in a big group, and there were about 60 guys in a platoon, not a lot, but about 60, and, and they would push us as hard as they could push us. You'd, you'd be doing physical training just on and on and on, and just they would go to the very limit, and they would do that so they could find the weakest person in the group. And they would look, they walk around as they're pushing, as you're doing push-ups, as you're doing mountain climbers, as you're, doing, as you're in the sand pit in your full uniform and just rolling around in the dirt, which is, I don't even know what that was for, it's just to torture you, but they make you do it. And they find that weakest person, that person that would start complaining, that person that would just lay there when everybody else was still working, they would find that one guy and they would point that person out and they would say, you know why you're working hard? He's why you're working hard. And they would do this every day 
they would find the weakest link and they pick on the weakest link. Now, you know what would happen to all of us who were in this, in this platoon? 60 other guys, 59 other guys looking at this one person. Did any of us go up to that guy and say, come on, you got this, push through? Wall shaking his head, no. Did that happen to you? Of course it didn't. No, it doesn't happen. No. What happens whenever you're under pressure and that guy who's making the pressure happen is pointing out the weakest link and he's saying, I'm not the reason you're doing this. He's the reason you're doing this. What do you, start, what do you think we started to do? We started resenting. We looked at that guy and said, why don't you work harder? What's wrong with you, right? Get up. <laughs> that was the motivation we were going to give. It wasn't nice motivation. <laughs> it was like, why are you doing this to us? Get your lazy rear end going so we don't have to sit here and do 20 more of these, right? That's what we did. We all put the blame on them. Then we started fighting, arguing with each other, which was exactly the point of what they were doing it for, right? We started to cave under the pressure. Now, every day, multiple people in this room, I'm sure, have a similar experience. The going gets tough in your life, the pressure Kate starts pushing in tighter and tighter and it feels like you're trapped in a net and the spouse pays the price, right? The, the kids pay the price, right? The people you work with pay the price. You find what you think is the weakest link in your life and you're saying, man, that is you and I don't know why, why can we not just do better, right? And you just, there becomes this lot of just grumbling. It may even be yourself. You may not have nobody to blame but me and you just beat the mess out of yourself, because of the pressures in your life on the outside. There's plenty of grumbling and blaming that goes on in hard times. James says, instead, we're to do this. Is verse 9. I'm going to be up on the screen. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. I love this because he says, do not grumble against one another. Remember who you are, your family, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged Behold, the judge, you want to be the judge by blaming someone else. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. He's close, right? So instead of judging and blaming each other, especially fellow Jesus followers, because this is who James is writing to as believers in a church setting, we're to remember that the perfect judge is going to come to sort things out, right? Now imagine that's like when your mom or dad leaves home, maybe you've been through this, and you're left alone with your siblings in the house with a list of things to do before they come back. And what I did, I won't tell you what you did, I'll just tell you what I did. When I have this long list and my stepsisters were around, we're supposed to do this together. Did we work together to get the job done without complaining? No. We complained, we, we backbit, we didn't do the work. We talked about how you have more work to do than me, why aren't you doing enough? And there's just constant cycle of just pain and suffering going around until the parents show back up and then it's just finger pointing as to why nothing got done, right? That's what happened. So instead, James says, of complaining how hard life is and blaming others for why it's so hard, we're one, to keep our head down, to do what we're called to do and let the ultimate judge sort out the rest, but we're also called to do something else. Matter of fact, we're called to do three things, but it's all centered on one central idea. It's in verses 13 through 15. He says, when the going gets tough, don't grumble. He says this, though. He said, if anyone is among you is suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. 
You see, a life lived walking out faith in Christ is one that is not spent using our words to blame others or to complain, but to use our words to pray. And when I say pray, I don't mean head down, eyes closed, and quiet spaces in our life. That's not what James is talking about. I mean an attitude of prayer. I mean a life where you're praying all the time. And you say, well, that's unrealistic. How can you pray all the time? And life gets hard enough, you start praying a whole lot more than you think. James lists out here every category of life. Are you in trouble? Are you burdened by something or someone? Pray. Are things going great and you're feeling really good about it? Praise God, which is another form of prayer. Are you sick of, and maybe even laid up in bed because of the sickness you're going through? He says, call on the elders of the church to come and pray over you. In all facets of life, we're to use all moments as an opportunity to communicate with God. Now, I'm not sure how you see prayer, but let me tell you how Jesus views it and how it's portrayed in the Bible. Prayer is an invitation for God to get involved in your life. In suffering, It's an invitation for him to step in and divine strength that can't come from anyone or anywhere else. In joy, it's an invitation for him to come in the room so you can thank him for all that he's given you. In sickness, it's an invitation to either step in and do something miraculous in your life or provide peace for you to endure it. Matter of fact, 2 Chronicles 7, 14 and 15 says this about prayer. One of the awesome verses about prayer. He says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. He said, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. You see, a humble and heartfelt prayer gets God's attention and gets him in your life to do what only he can do. And often what that prayer will do is it'll take you close to someone else, close to others and not away. I always find this so interesting about prayer, so interesting about how God works. We always say, and Miss Jan, I appreciate what you said earlier, so when I, when I have a hurt, I go to, go to Christ. And, and what happens in my life, I'm not speaking for, for you, but what happens in my life is that I, I will do that. And so often... Not only will I do that, but God will also put me in the path of somebody else. As I draw close to him, he draws me close to, each other, close to others in my life. Or draws others close to me in my life. There's two facets to that. We're talking about this, the, the elders have a meeting uh, once a month. So we were gathering, we were praying this morning and talking through some things. And, and I said, uh, there's some days where I wake up and I don't want to people. All right? That's a verb in my life. I don't want to people right now, okay? Uh, I don't want to be around others. And every time I said, when I'm around fellow believers, I come out of that experience and say, I might not have wanted to go and do that, but I needed to do that. I needed to be there. I needed to be around. It's not, it had to be, not even beyond Sunday, but just in life, just going sitting in the fellow believers. Being in a space with other people who are rallying around you, I need that. And that's what James is saying here. He says, is anyone among you sick? Uh, this is verses 14 through 16 again. Uh, Josh will have it thrown up on the screen for us. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. 
And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. And what I love is verse 16, as it pulls it all together, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. He said, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. You see, James is saying you need patience, you need prayer, but just as importantly, we need partnership. Partnership. Now, when I'm sick, the last thing I want is people around. <laughs> That's the last thing I want. Remember I told you, the herniated disc, I didn't tell my wife till the next day. I was passed out on a, on a doggone bed in another room, and I said, no, I don't want to bother. All right? The last thing I want is someone else around. If I get bad enough, I might call for a doctor to help if I'm sick or hurt. But usually my last thought is that I want someone anywhere, but especially from the church, to come and pray with me. That's, I, I will ask him, so my wife will do a great job. If something's going on in our lives, she'll ask, hey, can you be praying for, for this or for us or for my family? That's not my default mode. But James saying that should be the first thing we do. That should be the first thing we do. Now, he's not saying that you don't rest or you don't seek medical treatment, but he's reminding us of that first thing we often ignore. He's saying that sickness, he's saying that suffering and sin, those three S's, they will seek to isolate you. Think about your life. Think about the times you've been sick. Think about the times you're going through hard times. Think about the times you've messed up and done something you know you're not supposed to have done. What does that do to you? Do you want to be around others? Mm -mm. You especially don't want to be here. You especially don't want to be over to someone's house who's going to hold you accountable. right? You don't want to be around anybody like that. right? If you're sick, the excuse is, oh, I'm sick. I don't want, I don't need to be, I don't want to get anybody else infected. I want to be by myself. If you're suffering like, oh, everybody's got hard times, I'm just going to, I'm no different. I'll just, I'll just sit here and, and, and suffer alone. If you're in sin, it's like, man, I don't know. I don't want anybody to find out what I've done, right? All these things isolate us. Read the Gospels, though, and look at who Jesus runs into constantly. Who does he run into constantly? He runs into the sick, who he healed. He runs into the suffering, and he runs into the sinners. These are people who weren't just hurt physically, but Jesus knew there was a bigger problem than if they were sick. It wasn't just about their physical illness. If they were sinners, it was more, it was more than what was going on there. If it was a suffering, it was beyond all that. It wasn't just what was happening uh, in them or to them. It was a social problem. It wasn't a physical problem alone. It was a social problem. When Jesus healed, go back and read. Look at the Gospels. Every time Jesus goes and heals somebody, he would immediately say, go and, and, and go back to the community leaders. Go to the people in your community and, and show them you're better so that you can be welcomed back into the community. Whatever has separated you from the community, let it be healed and then be brought back into the community to experience true healing. He knew it didn't end with him healing a physical problem. He knew it didn't end with him saying your sins are forgiven. He knew it didn't end with anything else. He said it ended whenever you were brought back into the community and welcomed in on equal status. It's not a physical issue, it's a social issue. Our sickness and our suffering and our sin, they aren't physical issues. They're social, interpersonal issues. These things in our lives, we have, whether it's sickness, whether it's going on, whatever's happening in your life, those are there to wake us up to the fact that not only do we need Jesus, that's step one, but that we need one another. We need people in our community that we're committed to and are committed to us. 
That's what he's saying here in James. James is saying that when you're sick, instead of calling a doctor, please call your doctor first. Don't, don't say, the pastor said, you just call the elders, and they're going to heal you, and don't ever go to the doctor again. That is not what I'm saying. Please, Jesus, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. But he is saying that med- treat, seek medical treatment, but don't forget, call the elders in your church to come and pray for you. Call for the spiritually mature men who are charged with knowing you at your best and your worst and are committed to caring for you, committed to challenging you to grow to be more like Jesus. He says you don't need to go to a faith healer. You don't need to go to some other spiritual or religious healing practice. But you come to those who care for you and have access to a power that is far greater than anything else this world has to offer anyway. Here at Faith, just so we make it a practical, real practical level, we do have elders, by the way. That's, that's me and that's uh, John uh, Boucher at the front, and Leo's over here, and Walt's in the back. Uh, there's a, and that's a big, 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 big job, right? There's only, there's only a few because there's a higher standard that we're called to, an accountability that we're going to experience when we're standing before Jesus one day. But it is a great privilege because that means I get to know you. We get to know you. We get to get into your lives and realize, man, we're all struggling, but how can we pray for one another? When you're sick, how can I come and pray over you? Or if you can make it to church, how can we lay hands on you and pray and pray that God will heal you? How can we get together and rally around one another? That's what our call is to do as elders of the church. But it goes beyond just elders. I love what he said. Verse 16 is the best. Or verse, uh, is it 16? Let me get up here. It's verse, uh, yeah, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed, right? That's what he's talking about. Healing goes beyond just feeling better physically, but being made whole in every part of our lives. When we've done something that's hurt someone else, which, let's be real, happens all the time. It happens all the time. Confession is a path to restoration, both spiritually and relationally. We don't talk about confession enough, and I'm not going to beat the bush here because it's just a small portion of this, but confession is important. James says, don't go to your pastor, though, and confess your sin, right? So if you come from a Catholic background, you say, well, I got to go to confession. That's not what the Bible says. James says, go to one another. Confess your sins to one another, not, not, not an elder. He said, go to the elders to get prayer for being sick. Don't come and, you don't have to confess your sins to me, all right? or a priest, or anybody else, but the person you've hurt in that sin. He doesn't also say, go in front of the whole church and confess it. We need to clear that up too, right? He didn't say, hey, you don't got to go to one person that has nothing to do with what you did. You don't have to go in front of the whole church and, and blast your business like we all need to know what happened. But what you do need to do is you've hurt someone in your life, especially within this body of Christ, that we're to go to them and say, I'm sorry. And more than saying, I'm sorry, to say, I know what I've done is wrong. Will you please forgive me for what I've done? That's confessing your sin to one another. James, or first, first John 1 John 1.9, he says you've got to do two things. He says don't go to your pastor first. He says don't go to your church and, pray and blast it. He says but you've got to do two things. You've got to confess it to Jesus first. First John 1 John 1.9 says if we confess our sins, he is faithful, being Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then, after you've done it, taking it to Jesus, then you go to that person you've hurt. And in that confession, what you're doing is you're allowing God not just to heal and strengthen you, but to strengthen the whole body of Christ. You imagine the scenario. Imagine a place where 
you rub up against each other and you're helping and everything's going great and then you have a hurt. Then you experience something in your life where someone has offended you or you, you, you've been told something you didn't like and there's some, there's some strife and some discord. And imagine that scenario. You go home and you say, Lord, I'm hurt. But I'm going to take it to you and I ask, Father, forgive me for anything that I've done to, to facilitate that hurt. And Lord, heal me. And then he says, that's great first step. Now go talk to the person that you either hurt or has hurt you. And then you go to that person and, they, and you both talk it out. And what you have now is not an impasse, but an inclusion where you're brought together and you have a deeper relationship than you did before. You see, vulnerability, honesty, grace, and forgiveness, that creates a people who don't just go to church together, but are the church together. Day in and day out. A tribe who are whole and who are strong despite suffering, despite pain, despite sickness that we all experience. It takes partnership. Walking our faith, and not just talking about it, requires reliance on God in all circumstances, reliance on one another in all circumstances, realizing that suffering can either divide or deepen both of those relationships and recognize that we must listen to the word of God and do it instead of turning a deaf ear and let that doing lead us to help the vulnerable and the overlooked. To understand the words we use either separate us or strengthen us and that our vulnerabilities will seek to isolate us but we pray that instead we'll be united through them by patience, by prayer, by confession, and by partnership together until Christ comes or we're called home. So if you're here this morning and maybe you're not a committed, maybe you haven't come to a point in your life where you made a decision for Jesus and said, I'm forsaking all other things. I'm laying all that other stuff I used to pursue, all the other things I put myself in my life, and I'm putting all that down and I'm choosing to follow Christ, committed following Christ from this point forward. Maybe you're not there at that moment yet. <clears throat> but this morning as you're listening and you're thinking, man, I've, I've gone through these sufferings in my life. I've gone through some hard times. I've gone through places and, and, and met people where I have been isolated from them because of sickness or suffering or sin. Things in my life that has brought me to a place where I'm alone. Jesus is calling this morning. The rain is falling as it does on the crops to receive the seed. Softening us. Saying, you need to come home. You might not even want to. You might not even think, man, I, I, don't, I don't know if I need to, but, but you experience this call that says you need to be a part of a church, not, not you know, some, some place, but a people who are going to love and care and challenge you. And if that's you and you're ready to make that decision, to step into that kind of commitment. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that in just one minute. But if you're there and you're like, I'm not ready for that yet. <laughs> I'm just dating right now. Right? I'm kind of shopping around a little bit. right? I want you to know that's okay too, to a point. There's going to be a point you have to make that decision. That's just a fact of life and death and afterlife. But in the moment when you're here, 
and you're thinking through and wrestling. I always say faith is one big, long, sometimes very winding journey. And what we want to encourage is as you're pursuing those questions and you're having those doubts and, and confusions and want to sort all this stuff out, sort it out with us. Just sit with us and talk and live and live our lives together and watch how we work it out. Not that we're perfect, but how we point it back to Christ and see how that changes us and changes perhaps you and your family. Keep coming back week after week. Come back to, to connect with us wherever we're at in the community and watch as this different. Okay? For believers, my prayer is that we get to the end of this series, as we get to the end of this series here today, is for oneness in our church. That's always been my prayer, but I really focused in this week as I was really locking into this message on, man, man James is just hammering down on this partnership and, and this togetherness and this we, we're all in, confess to one another, call for elders, this all huge commitment part where it all ties together on a level that I don't, we do it better here than I've seen anywhere else, but can we do it better than we do it already? Can, can we do life together to, to that extent? Because that's what James is saying we should be doing. My prayer is for oneness within this church, that, that we're all dependable doers, okay? That we're all dependable doers for one another as God has called us together to be, but that we're also dependent on one another. Not an unhealthy, unstable way, like a codependency, but a dependent, like, I need you, and you need me, and you can count on me, and I can count on you. That's what we're called to do. That's what my prayer is, that we're willing partners, that we're fighters, in the battles that we face day in and day out. That we walk out our faith in such a way that, that we're interlocked. I have this image in my head, interlocked, just uh, ready to rally to one another and pick each other up when we fall down, when we stumble. That we're just arm in arm, that we're hand in hand, just raised to Christ, raised to the Father in worship through the good times and the bad, together. That's my prayer for this church. My prayer is that next week, when I'm gone and I'm preaching in a whole other church and a whole other country and I'm, I'm giving whatever word God has for me there, that we're, we are such interlocked that I'm still committed to praying over this church. That, I, that I'll, I'll wake up, I'll pray the night before before I go to bed, and I'll wake up and pray, Lord, make a move, see a move happen in, in Palinol, Vermont, in faith church, to bring people together, to bring new people in, to have them interlocked in one, one with you. That's my prayer. So I got one last piece of homework for you in this series. I gave it a few weeks I had homework. I don't think I gave it to you last week. I gave it to you this week, though. Read James 5, 16, just once each day. Not once total. Don't go home and read. I read it for good. One day each week, uh, or one day each week. One day this week. And keep reading it and reading it and reading it. And I want you to practice it. Remember James 5, 16. I'm going to read it one more time. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Read it, pray it, and live it this week. Let's start now. Let's pray. So all heads are bowed and all eyes closed. First and foremost, again, we always go to the people who may be ready, I pray, ready, to make a commitment to Christ. If that's you and you're ready to jump in, all in on Jesus. You do that by what we just talked about, prayer. Prayer is an invitation for God to come in and change you to come in and move in your life in a way you cannot even explain. But it is evident that he has. This takes place first and foremost in this prayer to Christ, in the prayer to Jesus. 
It could be a prayer like this. It had to be these words, but prayers like this, a heartfelt cry seeking his face. You could say, dear Jesus, first, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry that in sickness I've, I've put myself away. In suffering and hard times in my life that I've, I've kept to myself. I put up a good front, but I'm hurting. I've been hurt, and I've hurt others. God, first, please forgive me. God, all the things I've done, all the things I've thought of doing, Lord, please forgive me. Lord, make me new today. Now work in me, God, as the rain works on the soil. Soften me. God, it put within me, Lord, the good news of Jesus. Lord, that you love me, that you have forgiven me, that you have cared for me, that you have sought me out here right now today, and that you are showing up in my life right now. God, to change me forever in a way that nothing else in this world can do. If that's you this morning and you prayed that prayer, or one like it, then to be those exact words, something like that, I want to encourage you to follow up with me, John, Leo, Walt. We're all here. They want to help walk through that journey with you from here on out. Online, make sure you're following up with us as well. We want to make sure you're not left alone there too. For everyone else, as we were ready to wrap up this morning, as we focus in on James 5, 16, Lord, let's pray. God, help us. Help us to be bold enough to confess. Help us to be courageous enough to realize we need partners in our lives. Not just not business partners, not co-workers, not, not, not just these, these uh, half-hearted relationships that are easily broken, but God, we need fighters in our lives that are fighting for us that we're fighting for in their lives god to bring us together in such a way that is undeniable that it is a bond that comes from you and from you alone lord and as we butt up against each other as we have hard times together maybe as we have conflict in those moments god that we don't run away but we have patience that we stand fast god we know that you will sort these things out and we come to you in confession and we come to each other in confession and we say, man, I've messed some stuff up, but I, I want to love you as Jesus has loved me. I want to forgive you as Jesus has forgiven me. I want to, to continue to fight for you as I've been fought for. God, let us be one in you, Jesus. Willing partners, fighters, arm in arm, hand in hand, vulnerable, honest, but practicing forgiveness and grace day in and day out until you come, or we go home. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, if you're online, for being with us next week, 10 a.m., be here again. we got a special guest speaker on Walt Burns. Cannot wait to be able to hear what you got next week, Walt. Man, I'm super stoked about that. I can't promise I'll be listening to it in the U.K. I don't know what, I, what my situation is going to be, what time that is, but uh, I will definitely catch it when I get back. And I get to hear you because you get two weeks in a row. It's a bonus episode of Walt. Walt on the 4th and Walt on the 11th. I'm super stoked. And uh, so really excited. <laughs>
really excited to be able to, to hear and, and get the message that God has given you and to share with all of us as we live this out. So can't wait to see you guys online next Sunday at 10 a.m. You will be blessed. Make sure you're sharing this, subscribing, put the notification button, do all that you can do to make sure you're getting it and sharing with others. And we'll see you next week. Thank you.